Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. You may be seated, and if you would, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Peter. We will continue our series in the book of 1 Peter as we study it verse by verse, looking specifically in the theme of being strong. So you and I have a choice. You can either be weak or you can be strong. You can have <clears throat> strong marriages. You can have weak marriages. You can have a strong family or you can have a weak family. I highly recommend, this is just my opinion, that you be strong and not weak. Right? I hope that's your opinion too, to be strong in the Lord and His mighty deeds. And being strong in the Lord is literally surrendering to His will and being empowered by Him. And First Peter tells us in chapter 5 that he wrote this book that we might be able to take our stand in the grace of God, therefore being strong. And so this morning I realized that there are certain things that keep you and I away from being strong in the Lord. We can be strong in all kinds of things. You can be strong-willed. You can have strong opinions. You can be a part of certain cultural milieus or cultural tides, and they may not be good for you. And you may be strong about the wrong things. You might be committed and convinced about things that are falling away and that will eventually die, and that's not good for you at all. So what we need to be strong is in the things that God approves of. And actually, as we look at this theme throughout 1 Peter we see very clearly that we have an inheritance and salvation. He's speaking to Christians. The book of 1 Peter is written to Christians that have been scattered. They've run for their lives, and they're under the dominion of a, a tyrant leadership, and they're just living in one world, but yet citizens of another. They're citizens of the heavenly kingdom, but yet they're living in a worldly place. And he's telling them about their incredible salvation, that it is an inheritance that they received from God, and that they should set their hope clearly on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that He's coming for them. You can endure anything knowing that Jesus is going to come back and reward you specifically. In verse 13, he talks about devoting themselves to holiness, staying away from the entanglements of sin, and being holy. And then he says, live in fear, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. And it's the whole idea of following God. So in this passage of Scripture, as we, he talks about shining your light before men, as he talks about letting your deeds be glory unto the Lord, the question is, how do you do that? How do you live right in a wrong world? How do you walk in the light when there's so much darkness? Now, we've got to admit, there's a lot of darkness in the world. There's a lot of avenues. You can, you can pick your choice. It's like a mouse that has thousands of holes to go into, and every one of them leads to a trap. You can literally pick your poison, and it, it's, it's through all kinds of uh, enticing sins that will entangle you and take you away. It could just be the love of money, which is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money. It could, be, it could be lust and sex. It could be drugs. It could be just self-esteem and pride. It could be all these things, and they lead to destruction. And so we live in a dark, dark world. Not only is it available, but it's promoted. Romans chapter 1 says you need to be very, very aware of those that celebrate their sin and run it up a flagpole and, and, and have everybody look at their sin, and they brag about it. 
It's as if they say, we can live as we want and lightning bolts hadn't hit me. That proves that God doesn't exist. That's what they'll say. So how do you stay pure in a world that doesn't want us pure? And it comes down to, who is it that you're trying to please? Whose opinion, whose offering is it that you run to? And actually, I remember a long time ago, wasn't too long ago, when I was seven years old, um, <laughs> I remember I was in the second grade, and I remember some commercials about, some of you remember these, they're pretty valuable. They're called PF Flyers. Remember that? You could run faster, jump higher if you had PF Flyers. Going to second grade, I realized I had the wrong shoes on. Everybody else had PF Flyers. And I'm thinking, man, I've seen it on TV. Now I'm seeing kids run, and they can go up the slide. I want PF Flyers. And I remember I eventually got some. It took a long time, but I eventually got some PF Flyers. And man, there was something about it that just made me feel good. There was a connection between what was on my shoes and what was on my friend's shoes and then what happened to my heart and my mind. I mean, it's PF Flyers. They're cool. They're awesome. And it made me feel that way. And it's like I gravitated to some canvas and leather with shoestrings that made a difference in my life. In fact, after I got them, I put them on. I mean, I was late to dinner. I was putting them on. I was just dancing. Well, yeah, I was running around with my PF Flyers. And it made me feel, and my mom was so proud. My son has PF Flyers. That's so cool. So what just happened in that moment? What's the breakdown of that? It's interesting. It's, it's when the opinion of the television set and the opinion of my friends, actually, I got to confess something. I couldn't run any faster and I couldn't jump any higher. I really couldn't. I just thought I could because they said I could. And when they saw me with PF Flyers, they're like, dude, that's awesome. Or actually, they would have said groovy or something like that back in the day. So here's really what's happening. It's when we see the opinion of others and we prize it and we value it, there's something that happens deep inside our bodies. It's, it's actually physical. So the, the National Institute of Health says this, talking about appeasing the opinions of others. The opinions of others can easily affect how much we value things. And when you value things and you arrest those things, something happens within our bodies. So we investigated what happens in our brain when we agree with others about the value of an object and whether or not there is evidence at the neural level for social conformity through which we change our objective valuation? No, here's what he's saying. When somebody has an opinion and you value the opinion and they have an opinion about an object, when we receive the object, does it act, can you measure it within our bodies? That's an interesting question and they actually go to prove there is. Um, using functional magnetic resonance imaging, we independently modeled, number one, learning reviewers' opinions about a piece of music. They took music as their subject. And rewarded values while receiving a token for that music, and number three, their interaction in 27 healthy adults. We show that agreement with two expert reviewers on music choice produces activity in the region of the, ventric the ventricle stratum that also responds when receiving a valued object. It is known that the, the magnitude of activity in the ventral stratum reflects the value of reward predicting stimuli. 
And he goes on to talk about the dopamine that's released in the brain. So if somebody values an object, in this case music, and people have been told that is really, really good music, and now you get to listen to it, the shaping of the opinion created a physical reaction within the body, and it all starts because you value the opinion of others. Now, how, do you, how, does, how does brainwashing take place? Just like that. Exactly like that. How do you get a bunch of otherwise smart college students to put pain all over their bodies and run around half naked swinging a bat at people. How do you get people? It's, it's a type of groupthink, if you will. It's a type of cultural establishment imprinting of the soul that's reinforced by the chemicals in your body that release this dopamine that makes you say, yes, I got to have a V8. It's what makes us have it. It's what we do. Now think about this for a moment. The world desires to program you and me. Just does. Like the little puppeteer. Or the hand in the puppet. There is a diabolical plot. It is being enacted through culture, right? We are to be in the world, but yet not what? Of the world. We are to be distinct. So how do you overcome the opinions of not, not, just, not just opinions, but bad opinions, disruptive sways in life. How are to, you and I to overcome this? So this is what Peter's getting at. How to live different, how to live like strangers, how to live holy in a dark, unholy world. Now, first of all, you have to reevaluate the opinions you follow and how you got them. Listen, I'm telling you, dig deep on this. This is just truth. And if you let this just glaze over your head without really evaluating it, then you and I just succumb to the beat of the drum, if you will, and to culture. So here's, here's what I believe, rightly dividing the word of truth, how we are to live holy, and it first of all starts off with what we would call a fear of the Lord. Look with me at verse 17, chapter 1, verse 17. And if you address as Father, the one who judges impartially, Based on each one's work, you are to conduct yourself in reverence, or your translation may say fear, same, same concept, same word, translate two different ways. You are to conduct yourself in fear during this time of temporary residence. So let's break this down. You and I are to have a right and holy fear. So does Peter really mean believers are to live in Reverence or in terror? I think the former. We're not to be terrified of God, but we are to fear the Lord, a reverence before the Lord. Too much of this, in fact, he even starts off by saying, since you, that, that's, a, that, that's a clause, that, that if, that conditional clause, is a third-class conditional clause that basically means since. Since you address as Father, the one who judges impartially, Meaning we call God who is judge, we call him father. But we do it in a very reverent way, very respectful way. And so we have a fear of the Lord. So we all have fear that should be respectful. I mean, I ride a motorcycle, and if, if I don't have a certain fear of oncoming traffic 
or gravel, which is really not good, it's like marbles, or, or lightning, which is not good, then I'm going to drive like a crazy man, right? If you're a pilot, you have a certain fear and respect of the laws of nature. If you drive a car, particularly through Garden City, you really need to have a, a fear of the road, and therefore you stay alive. You know, you, you have respect for what you do. And, and same thing with God. You don't just flippantly go into the presence of God. You don't just spend your money flippantly as though God doesn't exist. You don't have the opinion of others that drive you. You have a fear and a respect of God like you should of your parents. Just a, a respect for parents. In fact, it's so important, it's one of the commandments. Honor your mother and father. Why? Because there is a respect, meaning that their opinion matters. Why? Because they brought you into this world and they can what? Right? I'm just saying. I hope my kids listen to this on podcast, by the way. So there is a, there is a, there is a fear that we should understand, and it's, it's very clear. So listen to some scriptures. The day, this is <clears throat> right after Sinai. Israel is going through the wilderness and they come to Mount Sinai and God speaks to them. And he says, the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, assemble the people before me, this is Moses speaking, and I will let them hear my words. God says, bring all the people, they're gonna hear from me. They've been wanting to hear from me, now you're gonna hear so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on this earth and may instruct their children. Isn't that incredible? God says, everybody gather. You, you've been wanting to know my name. I shared my name with Moses. Yahweh I am. You want to see my power? He displayed his power. Now you really want to fear me? Let me explain my ways to you so that you can teach them to your children. And it all results in a healthy reverence and fear for God. So what you revere, what you fear, will, will automatically develop a love for a certain kind of opinion because it matches the Lord, and we'll see this at the very end. So not only is there to be a fear of the Lord, but you and I are also to live as strangers in this land. We've talked about this already. Live in fear while strangers. There it is in verse 17. Um, you, you are... You are you are different. You, 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 you are to be unique. Paul says that believers are peculiar. Now, don't make yourself peculiar because you're odd or you're a jerk. That's not what we mean by this. What we mean by this is you are to be set apart, sanctified, unique in the way you respond to the opinions around you. So living as a stranger... Leviticus chapter 25, 23 says, the land is not yours permanently because it is mine. He's telling Israel, this is in the law when you're living in the promised land. Listen, this land is not yours. It's mine because you are strangers in the land. This isn't a new concept of Christianity. This is what God was embedding in the hearts of his people all the time is that there is a land beyond this place. It's by and by, if you will. It, it's, it's in a, that's where we're going to live forever. Life is but a vapor. You ever driven down, driven down the highway? Of course you have. And it's 105 degrees, and you're looking at that black top, and you're going, look at that vapor come off that road. And next thing you know, when you drive up there, you don't see it. Why? Because, bam, it's gone. It's the mirage. It leaves. It just, 
Now you see it, now you don't. That's life. Now you have it, now you don't. That's the end. But eternity is forever and ever and ever. When you and I keep that in mind, then temporary satisfactions don't satisfy. Long-term satisfactions, they satisfy. And so that is key. We are to live as strangers. This horizontal discomfort comes from their vertical uh, contentment. To be faithful in the midst of horizontal discomfort. What's happening in the world comes from a vertical commitment that truly satisfies. And that's what the Lord has for you and for me. It's, it's and then the next thing that He brings up. So not only fear, not only living as strangers, but also realizing that God the Father is the judge. Look at verse 18. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with precious blood, the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without deflect. He was destined. In other words, he is the chosen. In other words, the Messiah, he's the chosen one before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of time for you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. And so this is the salvation. Understand this. As we saw in the first 16 verses, that salvation is given. It's a free gift. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ who shed his blood and whoever believes in him, the resurrected Lord, who nailed our sins to the cross, you are born again and you are positionally holy. And so never will we go before the great white throne judgment and be judged in our sin. That was judged on the cross. So we are free. We have been forgiven. We've been declared righteous. But then he comes back and he says in this verse in 17 that as we approach the Father as the one who judges impartially. So Christians, there is a judgment for us and we will stand before God in that judgment. And it's not the, not the judgment of damnation, but the judgment of evaluation of all that we have done. And so Romans chapter 14, verse 12, Romans written to the church says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, look, I realize this is a sobering moment when we talk about these things. And I don't want to take advantage of, of this moment, but let's let it soak in a little bit. I and you as believers in Christ, we will stand before the Lord and we will give an account. In other words, why'd you do this? Uh, I don't know. Who told you to do that? Well, nobody told me. Well, whose sway were you under? Uh, probably the world. Yeah. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to count that. That didn't go towards your good. It goes towards your bad. So we give an account. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says this, For we must all appear, this is speaking to Christians, for we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ, also known as the Bema Seat of Christ, right? We must, all Christians, appear before the tribunal seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. So 
there's going to be this time where we all stand before the Lord who is judge and says that all that we have done will be burnt up. So the things done in the flesh is called wood, hay, and what? Stubble. The things that we've done for the kingdom, the things that we've done for good, the things we've done for others, the things, all those things, they will be seen as precious jewels, right? Silver, gold, precious jewels. So here's what he's saying. You should not have the attitude that, you know what, I got baptized, I'm saved, and now I'm going to live any way I want. No, 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 no. As if you're under the sway of other people's opinions. That when you fulfill those other opinions, you, that it makes it just that dopamine and all, you just start feeling good on the inside. You say, no, 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 listen. Let's put that in check. You want to you wait for that day to where there is that tribunal or that bema seat of Christ. That's the day we live for. Not for this day, but for that day. I'm not saying there's not great joy today. I'm not saying that it's, it's not thrilling to be completely obedient and that, and that the way to experience the greatest incredible love is doing it scripturally. And the greatest way to have joy with children is do it scripturally. Walking biblically brings us joy now, but just wait. <laughs> just wait till that day when the, the piercing eyes of Jesus burns up everything you've done. And yeah, we'll have some wood, hay, and stubble, but you will also have precious stones and jewels, and it'll be fantastic, particularly when He shapes that into your crown, and then you cast it back at His feet. That's the day. And I'm telling you, when you and I think about that, then these temporary temptations, they don't have much of an impact. I mean, the, the dopamine and the joy and the thrill that, that centers in my heart it's when you're able to serve someone without anybody knowing or getting gratitude. You know, it's as if you can hear the angels in heaven. When, when you do reject sin, you are tempted and you say no to it. It's like you can hear the thousands of angels that are all around going, that, that's a golf clap, because if they clap too loud, <laughs> things might shake. So it's, ah, that's awesome. See, that view goes up against all the other opinions and all the other values that happens. I heard the story of a lady who was talking to her junior high daughter, and the junior high daughter came home, and she, the lady said, how was your day? And she says, well, it started off pretty bad. I said, why? Well, you know, and she named this boy. He was sitting at our table, and he's known for always causing problems in class, and he's kind of a bully. And the teacher said something, and he mocked the teacher, and the daughter said, you probably shouldn't talk like that. And he said, you're nothing but, and he blank, 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 blank. Just yelled it at her right in her face. And, she, and this mom said, man, my eyes were turning red, man. I was, wanting, I was wanting to get this kid. And the girl said, but you know, it turned out to be a really good day. And she said, why? She said, well, because I just realized that his opinion doesn't matter. Amen. It's just not truthful. How many of us are swayed by the opinions of others that we've exalted in our mind to say they're awesome, they're cool, and we want to do whatever we can to be like the Joneses or the Smiths or the Bobs? In all reality, it doesn't bring any satisfaction. So there is a judgment. In fact, those people that we try to impress, they're going to be judged. They are. They're not going to be your judge. God is going to be your judge. And so we say, so also, so we see this. We see that living as strangers, God is our judge. We're to fear the Lord, but also there are things we are to be knowing. And there we have it in verse 18. For you know, knowing, it's a, it's a, it's a continual action activity. 
It's an activity that never ceases. This is something that you're to know that you know that you know, and here it is. You are to know that you are redeemed from your empty way of life, your empty way of life. And that's, in fact, the, the Message Bible says you're dead in empty-headed ways. You know those things you do where you weren't even thinking? Like, why'd you do that? I don't know. I mean, did, did your mama ever ask you that? Why did you do that? And you go, I don't know. And you were being honest. I don't know. It just happened. Why did you say that? I don't know. It just came out of my mouth. And when it came out of my mouth, I couldn't get it back in. It just, it's out there. I tried. It just wouldn't. I don't know. Empty-headed, not even thinking, just doing it by nature. Just do these things. And he says, you were redeemed from that. I'm not to be that kind of guy. You're not to be that kind of gal. We're to be the kind of people who we know what we're doing. We know certain things. We have been redeemed. And what that means is there was a moment when you repented. You know what repentance is. Repentance is you're going one way and all of a sudden you realize you really know it's wrong and you turn 180. The problem is some of us know we're doing wrong and we do a 360. <laughs> you know, you're going, oh, I'm doing wrong and you cry and you don't want to get caught and then you go back and do it again. It's a 180, right? It's, it's turning around. It's, it's driving fast down the road and you see a sign that says, bridge is out. And so some people step on the gas, thinking that doesn't that didn't apply to me. I'm better than this. And then other people say, you're right. The bridge is out. I'm going to turn around. And so you, he's saying, you remember how you redeemed from the empty ways and you agreed. That's what repentance is. Repentance is agreeing with it. That, yeah, my way is wrong and I need to turn because this way is right. Repentance doesn't mean you got your hand slapped and now you need to be more careful. No, you agree with it. And repentance, listen, here's the difference. When conviction comes, in fact, I prayed for that this morning. Right when I stepped out, I said, Lord, send conviction. Because conviction leads to repentance. And you agree with repentance. And here's what it is. Repentance brings joy. Because now we know and now we're not going to be involved in that. So these are things that we know. And we know this. So not only first, repentance. Secondly, the cost that Jesus gave everything. His precious blood. So when I value Jesus more than anybody else and more than my own feelings and more than my own directions, I value Him. Then I see His precious blood that was spilt for me and I want to serve Him with all that I have. He gave His all, I'm giving my all. He, he gave His blood, I can resist sin even to the point of blood. We have all the examples here that He laid aside His prerogative of all of His deity and He became a man and He lived perfectly and I'm going to do the same. So knowing these things, not that I just learned them one time in the past, but I know them continually and every morning, every day, I'm aware of the precious blood that has been spilt. He gave His life for me and I'm going to live for Him. Amen? That's, what, that's who we are. We're to know these things, and we're to be knowing these things, learning deeper and deeper and deeper. Let me ask you, let me just say this. If, if you say, look, I know about the cross. Man, good, I'm glad you know some basics, because I know some basics. But there's a lot more I learn every single week about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And there is no end to it. I mean, it's, it's like you open the book, and you might learn a first line, but there's volumes and volumes and volumes of more truth about the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. And it motivates us. It gets us up in the morning. Listen, 
Talk about being peculiar. We, we follow someone who rose from the dead. I mean, think about that. And when people ask you about your faith, yeah, I follow a, a guy who once was dead, now he's alive. And that'll radically change your life. But also, he's the Messiah, verse 20. He is the chosen one. Verse 4, he is going to be revealed in the last day. And so there's this holy, verse 20, anticipation of waiting for that day. I mean, imagine, it could be any second now, right? Which way is east? That way? You don't know either. Let's, say, let's, let's assume it's that way, right? Let's just, let's just imagine for a second that all of a sudden the cloud just gets pulled back and then this shout that's like an archangel. You haven't ever heard an archangel shout, but when he shouts, it thunders throughout the whole world, throughout the whole universe, and we will be caught up together. And at that day, everything will be clear. And that day or that moment, it could be within the next nanosecond. I don't know. But that time changes this time right now, right? Because we look forward to that. Because he's, Jesus is coming back. Amen. Have you ever heard that before? He's coming back. And I have fallen out of, a, out of an airplane. I didn't jump. I got forced out. <laughs> I went skydiving and I was strapped to this dude. And he was, he was telling me he was like in, 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 in the UK. He was some kind of ranger and he dove and he's done thousands of dives. But when they opened that door, I'm like, uh-uh. If there, listen, I'm just being honest. If there, not, if there were not women on that plane, I would have gone down with the plane. But my wife is behind me, and I'm like, I don't know about this. She said, come on. And I'm like, I don't know about this. So I went down. It was incredible. And I remember as I was coming down, I'm like, hey, did my wife get out of the plane? And this guy pulled a couple cords, and we start flying sideways. And he said, yeah, look up there. And I'm going, stop it. Stop it. So we start coming down. So I've come down, but I've never gone up. Can you imagine that one? Coming up. Jesus is coming back. And that's what he says. He's coming back to reveal us at the full revelation at the end times for you. And so we learn that. And then also he talks about his powerful resurrection. And we are to be knowing these things and and to be embedded within our heart. And these things are for you and for your benefit. And as you think of these and as you meditate upon these things, it changes your life and you stop getting entangled in these things and you start thriving in these other things. And, And then ultimately, we begin to obey. Look at verse 22. By obeying, by obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves. It's not talking about... It's not talking about how we make ourselves righteous, but it's the gospel that makes us righteous. And so in obedience, listen, when we're following the opinion of the Lord, look what happens to our soul. So transformative. This is so radical. So, so let's, let's go back to the premise. It's not the opinion of the world or the opinion of someone else that makes us happy. As if, as if we do these things, we get our PF flyers or we get the kind of car that has the right emblem on it or we... Whatever, what we wear, or how we look, it's not that so that we can be happy about how other people look at us. Look at how he concludes this. It's fantastic. He says this. He said, being obedient with sincere love of the brothers. Love one another eagerly, earnestly, from a pure heart. Do you see this? So it's, so it's not whose opinion I can impress or what worldly things I can get involved in so that I feel better. Jesus transforms us to where we don't even think about ourselves. We think about 
the other person and how we can serve them and how we can love them. That's what it says. Loving others with a sincere heart. You know, I, some have said when I was reading on, a, on opinions and groupthink and the way we're persuaded to do evil, some have said that what it is is a lot of us develop a very poor self-esteem because we didn't measure up to other people's opinion. Maybe a father, maybe a mother, maybe a friend, a brother, maybe a teacher, maybe an employer just kept beating you down. And you need to think of yourself more highly is what we're being taught. Kind of these coping mechanisms, how to, how to overcome or how to balance the scales a little bit with the opinion of yourself. And the scripture completely denies all that. The scripture says the way to get rid of a, a poor self-esteem is just don't even think about yourself. Just stop thinking about yourself. If you stop thinking about yourself, you begin to think of others, knowing what the Lord has done for you in the fear, as strangers, being judged by Him with obedience and love, I begin to think of other people. And I'm telling you, that is when life goes in hyperdrive. That's when life begins to sizzle when you put the needs of others ahead of your own. Where do we learn this? From our Savior, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but He emptied Himself and became obedient even unto death. And so we learn this from who Jesus is and what He has done for us. Now look, I know we've all been entangled in things at times and we all have lived up to other people's opinions at times. But I need to ask you, where are you right now? Are you living for the next thrill? Are you living for the next paycheck? Are you living, or do you know these things? Are you at peace within your heart? Are you trusting God's opinion over everyone else's? And here's how he concludes. So we're not saved by the blood of something that was perishable, but of imperishable blood through the living and enduring Word of God. Look at verse 24. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades or drops off, but watch this. But the Word of the Lord endures forever. This is Scripture, brother, sister, listen. It's the Word of God that endures forever. Opinions fall. Your team will eventually lose. Your best friends will eventually not be your best friends. All the money that you have will eventually burn up, right? All that you have, all the friends, all the things will fall and fade away, but it's God's Word that endures forever. Here's what we do. We base our life on the Word of God, not on opinions and not on how they make us feel. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glenda's Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.